We'll be in Genesis chapter number 48, and we'll cover all of Genesis chapter 48. This is uh, lesson 17 of 19. You almost made it. We're almost to the end. We've got next week, and then the week after that, and we'll be finished. And uh, while you're turning to Genesis 48, I'll just say this. The past couple of weeks, uh, in Genesis really 45, 46, uh, all the way till Genesis 49, we're going to see even next week, um, compared to what we were doing in the life of Joseph, this is pretty easy stuff. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, plateau. Uh, we've gone through a lot of drama. We've gone through a lot of exciting things, and we've looked at uh, different things that no doubt we all know about, but we're excited. We love, do we love drama? Be honest. Do you love drama? It's just been kind of anticlimactic the past couple of weeks, and, and uh, tonight is going to be kind of the same, but uh, everything is important in the Word of God, and it's all there for our learning. I should hear some amens right there, and so uh, whenever we uh, go through a passage like this, um, just let the Word of God speak for itself and get excited about what the Word of God has to say. Uh, there's nothing I can say. There's no fancy outline that I can give you that's going to get you excited about the Word of God more than the Holy Spirit can. And so nonetheless, I didn't want to set myself up for failure, but I, I am excited about Genesis 48. Uh, we'll read Genesis chapter number 48. Can we read the whole thing? Uh, I got some great news. It's probably going to be the shortest message in all of the series. And so uh, we'll see how that goes. But Genesis chapter number 48, and read with me in verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee, and Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me, and said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee, and I will make of thee a multitude of people, and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. Now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee unto Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And thy, uh, and thy issue, which thou begettest after them, shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren and their inheritance. And as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way, when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath, and I buried her there in the way of Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem. And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim, in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand to, toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head. And uh, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from e the, uh, all evil, bless the lads, and let thy name, excuse me, let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. 
And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a, a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God, make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you, and bring you again into the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. For just a moment tonight, I'd like to talk to you about this uh, subject in light of our series for the life of Joseph, a story of God's sovereignty, simply this, the reflection of affection. The reflection of affection. Let's say a quick word of prayer and we'll begin tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for your many blessings and allowing us the opportunity to come tonight, Lord, and to worship you already. We've met with you. Uh, so excited about what you're doing in this church. Lord, we're excited about the missionaries that we read about. Uh, we're excited about the things that you're accomplishing. We're uh, even excited about this bathroom program. I pray that you'd be with that. Uh, Lord, for tonight, that you'd be with me as I preach. I pray that you'd be with Brother Mike as he teaches the young people. Lord, uh, and everywhere across the campus, Lord, I pray that everything that is done would be to your honor and it would be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for reading with me. How, how many of you like time capsules? How many of you have ever opened a time capsule? Well, this is not exactly the same thing, but we're going to kind of get uh, uh, insight into one of my time capsules, something that happened to me a number of years ago, and I didn't plan this, but it just so happens that my son's sick, so Becky is not here, but in my hand, I hold a Sperry's Top Cider box, it's just a shoe box, but in it are a number of different things um, that no one in this room is going to appreciate, but I would definitely appreciate. Matter of fact, uh, you can see that the box is kind of worn and tattered. It's been through uh, the four or five different houses that we've lived in, the 14 different cars. No, I'm not joking. I've had 14 cars. And uh, I've had this guy for a long time. And uh, inside of it, I'll just pull out a couple of items uh, and see if this means anything to anybody. Does anybody, can you see what that is right there? These are Starbucks cups. And that brown stuff on the top, that is coffee. That's from uh, 2012. Yeah, these, there's uh, three cups in there, I believe, and in this one, I think there's seven or eight cups in this one. Uh, these are the Christmas cups. There's some writing on there, and uh, what these are in this box, here, let me explain these first. So these are just Starbucks cups, um, but when my wife and I were dating back in 2012, I met, well, actually it's 2011, me and my wife started dating in the, f in the uh, uh, fall of 2011 when I met her at Heartland Baptist Bible College, and uh, we weren't allowed to text. Um, I, I remember, and I'm not gonna, I'll spare you the details, but uh, I called Pastor Farinella, and uh, I expected the conversation to go one way, it went a very different way, and uh, we weren't allowed to text, we weren't allowed to communicate that way. He said, personal communication is fine, but I don't want you texting or calling her. And so how many of you, it bothers you whenever you are in the same room as someone else and they're texting someone else in that room? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it bothers me too, but so what we would do is we would be at Starbucks, and we wouldn't do that because we weren't allowed to, but we would communicate via Starbucks coffee cups, <laughs> and on here, I could read you some, but I won't, there are some writings, some different <laughs> things that we've written, communications, and I'm serious, I'd be sitting with my friend, I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and I'm answering questions, uh, uh, trying to have dual conversations here while I'm communicating with Becky, and, and while we're communicating with one another. I've saved these. Uh, are you supposed to say, oh, yeah, thank you, oh. I, it was beautiful. 
uh, so there's, there's those there. And, uh, and, and in here, uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot of different letters that we exchange. This is not even all of them. I have a uh, tub that we've got. Uh, but in here, there's, I mean, there's a dozen different, or not a dozen, there's probably five or six dozen different letters. There's pictures. Uh, let me see if I can find what was in there that I saw the other day. So does this look completely insignificant to you? It's just, it's just a receipt paper. That's what it is, just a receipt paper. Well, there's a note from Becky on there. <laughs> I love this. Don't ask me what it says. You're not, it's not your business. Uh, but I, I, there's a receipt. It, ah, let me see if I still have it. I should have checked before. I think I still have it. In my wallet, and I've, I've had two or three different wallets since then. It is there, okay. So in this, there's, there's a random card. It just says, I love you, and then I'm not gonna tell you what else it says. And then uh, it says, Joy, her middle name is Joy. That's a random tag. I, why would I keep that? Because it's from her, and I kept it. It's been in my wallet. There's a picture in there that I've had for a number of years. Um, do you want me to read something that's in here? <laughs> Becky said, do not read it. If you read anything, I'll kill you, but she's not here, so I'll read just a little bit. First word, baby. That's all I'm going to read. I'm not going to read the rest of it. <laughs> now, no one's going to appreciate what's in this box uh, no one's going to be excited about that but me, obviously. And you can laugh. How many of you, uh, you would want to puke if you went back in time and you met the uh, puppy love you and your spouse? How many of you, nobody? Come on. Am I the only one? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, you guys weren't really in love like we were in love, I guess. Because, I mean, the whole puppy love stage, that was totally something that we were all about. Uh, you know, the, the, like Pastor was saying on Sunday where he, he was talking about the, the two people that were, uh, uh, you know, they, they had making eye babies. You ever heard that reference? We coined that phrase. Um, but there's so many things in this box that um, remind, and, and this is six, seven years ago. We've been married for, uh, it'll be six years, six years this ju just July. Yes, July. <laughs> It'll be six years this July. We've been dating. Uh, we were dating two years prior to when we got married. So I've been a part of Becky's life for eight years. She's been a part of my life for eight years. And uh, I look back, and you can say it's sappy. You can say it's disgusting. But when I look back at that stuff, that reminds me of how it used to be. And that reminds me of the love that we uh, kindled and how it's grown since then. I could read you some of these letters, and I could show you some of these cards. I, could, I used to have the original, the first ever, and this is almost how our relationship started. Interesting story, ask me about it later. But I had the receipt from her first ever Starbucks order before we were even dating. I was a creeper, and I went up... <laughs> I went up to the, I went up to the, uh, the, uh, the guy, uh, and I said, hey, can I have her receipt? And I memorized her drink, and for the rest of the semester, I'd go and get her coffee. See, a way to a Seattle girl's heart is through her Starbucks, see? And I had that. I had it for so long in my wallet, it disintegrated. So, uh, but nonetheless, when you look back, uh, I, I, when I look back, at least myself, uh, I'm reminded of her love for me. I look at that stuff, and, and again, she calls me baby, she calls me pumpkin, she calls me sweetheart, she calls me all these different pet names that she still calls me to this day, and, and you might think that that's ridiculous, you might think it's dumb, but I love it. It reminds me, here's the word that I want to use in light, of, in light of our title tonight, the reflection of affection. As I reflect, I'm reminded of her love for me, and because of her love for me, I want to reflect my love for her. Did you get what I just said? I, that's one of those words that has a dual meaning. Reflect, to recall to memory those things. Uh, every once in a while, I'll open this box and I'll read those letters and it, it just means so much to me when I go and I look back that it reminds me I need to be a living reflection of my love for her. My life needs to be displayed in a way that people look at me and they say, that guy loves his wife. That's very important. Probably a good rule of thumb would be to wear your wedding ring and I don't have it on tonight. I left it in the shower, so ignore that. But you, you get the concept of what I'm trying to say? When you look back, 
when you look back, okay, for those of you who don't care about your relationship with your spouse, okay, forget that. How about a, a lost loved one? Lost, how many of you have memorabilia of someone that is no longer with us? And you look on that, isn't that sweet? Uh, I mean, I, I, if, you, if you were, your house was burning down, would, that, would, not, would that not be one of the first things you grab is those priceless possessions that you have when you look back and you're reminded of the love either you had or the love that someone else had uh, uh, for you. And so we can, we can learn a lot from looking back. We can learn a lot from reflecting. And as we've been studying through the life of Joseph, we've had opportunity to get insight on several key players aside from Joseph. Obviously, we looked at his brothers. Uh, we've looked at Potiphar. We've looked at Potiphar's wife. But uh, a lot of our texts in our study over the past at least two weeks has been his father, Jacob. And we've looked at Jacob, and, and, and although Jacob was inconsistent, could we agree, he was inconsistent in his walk with the Lord, eventually he came to the point where he turned things around, and he started going down the straight and narrow, and he started to establish himself in the Lord. You say, how do you know that, Lamar? Well, we just read the end of his life. Next week, we're going to read about the blessings and the cursing that he gives to his sons. And... Um, uh, not only that, but even when he passes from the scene in Genesis 49, did you know that 19 times in the Old Testament, God references himself and identifies himself with Jacob even after Jacob is long dead and gone? We still do it today. Uh, let's, just, let's just test it. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of... See, we still do it today. So Jacob must have done something right. He must have turned things around it, it, to the point where he was following after the things of God. And so... Really simply tonight in these closing uh, chapters of Jacob's life, and in this closing chapter in Genesis chapter number 48, I'd like us to look back. And we're just going to go over the text very simply tonight as Jacob looks back. And he goes over some things with Joseph, and here's what he's saying. This is my reflection of his affection. This is my reflection. This is what has happened on my life. God has had his hand upon my life. He's moved in my life in spite of who I am not. And God is above everything else. He's displayed his love upon my life. And so in, in chapter 48, God calls, or excuse me, Jacob calls Joseph to his side and he begins to reminisce about what God has done and he's really giving him his legacy and he's telling him about these things that have transpired. And so I want us to notice just four reflections real quickly tonight, four reflections in the life of Jacob in Genesis chapter number 48. If you're taking notes, number one, write this down. The reflection of gratitude. The reflection of gratitude. As Jacob uh, looks back and reflects on, on his life and he sees all the things uh, that God has done, one overwhelming spirit and sense and emotion has come over him. And here it is, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. He's looking back on his life and he's telling Joseph, hey man, I have lived a life of inconsistency, but in spite of all my inconsistency, in spite of the fact that I have failed God many times, he's never failed me. He's always been faithful no matter what I've done, no matter what I've done in my life, if I've turned to the left or to the right, God's always been faithful and he's never failed me. Jacob reflects on his life, and he has a spirit of gratitude, and here's just three things that he notices, three things that he reflects upon in regards to his uh, spirit of gratitude. Letter A, if you're taking notes, Bethel. He references Bethel. How many of you were here week number two when we talked about Bethel and what Bethel means? Look at verse number three and verse number four of Genesis chapter 48. It says, And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, and I will make of thee a multitude of people, and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. So he's telling Joseph, Joseph, this place, Bethel, this is where my faith became real to me. 
This is where my face became sight to me. This is where God uh, revealed himself. That's what he says. He appeared unto me, and God became very real to me personally. And, and, and here's the message that God gives to him at Bethel. He says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm Abraham's God. Yes, Jacob, I'm Isaac's God, but you know what? I'm your God, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. He personalizes the Abrahamic covenant in Bethel, and so Bethel was a very dear place and a very serious place in the life of Jacob. In the life of Jacob, his Bethel experience represents this, restoration. Write that word down. His Bethel experience represents restoration. Here's that word, restoration. The act of turning something, re, excuse me, returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. The act of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. Here is what Jacob had to do at Bethel. He had to return something that was never his in the first place. He took his life and he gave it to the one who it belongs to in the first place, willingly giving up his life there at Bethel. So he remembers Bethel. Letter B, he remembers Rachel. In verse number seven, he remembers Rachel. Verse seven, it says, As for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan, in the way when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath. And I buried her there the way of Ephrath. The same is Bethlehem. Now, we would never doubt that uh, of all of his wives, he adored, he loved Rachel above all the others. He worked for her for 14 years, worked seven for, uh, really worked seven for Rachel, and then uh, Laban gives her uh, Leah, and then nonetheless he works another seven years. He adores uh, Rachel. Matter of fact, that's why we have so many problems in the first place in Joseph's life, because that's his son of his promise, and he favored um, uh, Joseph over all the other brothers because he said, that's the son of my promise, the son of my youth from Rachel. He had other sons, but the reason that he loved Joseph so much is because he loved Rachel. And here he is, he's referencing one of the most difficult times in his life. One of the darkest hours and the darkest chapters in Jacob's life was when he loses Rachel. And this was a major faith-building moment. And here he is referencing it. He's 147 years old and he's referencing something that happened, I think, about 38, 39 years ago. And perhaps he wasn't able to see the hand of God in the moment that Rachel passes after she's giving birth, or excuse me, as she's giving birth to Benjamin, but nonetheless, uh, I believe now he's looking back and he's saying, hey, God was with me in my darkest hour. In the life of Jacob, his Rachel experience represents relief. Write that down. Represents relief. We know what the word relief means. It means a feeling of reassurance and relaxation following release from anxiety or distress. Again, this is one of the most difficult things he's ever had to go through in losing his, his wife, in losing Rachel. How many of you can testify? How many of you have ever had God in your corner in your darkest hour? In your darkest hour of need, in your darkest hour of distress, and you've been going through, as she just saying, though it, you can see a valley, he sees the mountain you're standing on. I can testify that in my darkest hours, there God has been. And this is what jo Jacob is telling Joseph. He said, hey, listen, this is where my faith became real to me. This is the restoration, and here is where God became real to me in my relief. He remembers Bethel, and then he remembers Rachel. Let her see, he remembers the angel in verse number 16. The angel, verse 16 says, The angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, and the names of my uh, fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. 
The very beginning of that verse says, the angel which redeemed me from evil. He's referencing the time in the word of God where he's wrestling against this angel and God reaches down and touches the hollow of his thigh. How many of you remember that? We talked about that uh, just uh, towards the beginning of the study. But uh, this takes place, this transpires, and I believe, I believe that this is a Christophany. This is a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, this wrestling match ensues and again, God reaches down and touches the hollow of his thigh and he's referencing this angel experience. The angel experience in the life of Jesus Jacob represents this, breaking and redemption, breaking and redemption. So he remembers Bethel, he remembers Rachel, and then he remembers the angel. But something that's interesting to notice is what does Jacob not reference? Jacob doesn't reference his possessions. I mean, he's on, he's on his deathbed, and he's lived his entire life, and, and, and if he lived his life like most people live their life, uh, whenever they get to the end of their life, they like to do their, che- their, their bucket list, their check mark. Hey, I've accomplished this, I've accomplished this, I've accomplished this, I have this possession. Hey, you don't get to take that with you when you leave this world. Jacob doesn't reference the uh, possessions that he has. He doesn't reference his occupation. He doesn't reference the job that he has. He doesn't reference the accomplishments that he reaches. I kind of picture it this way. He's 147 years old, and the Bible says that he barely has enough strength to be able to lift himself, and he strengthens himself whenever Joseph comes. So I kind of view this. As he's reminiscing and he's talking about his spirit of gratefulness, here's what he's doing. He's finding all the strength within him to raise his hand and say, what a God. Thank you so much, God. Thank you for your long-suffering and your kindness. The spirit of gratefulness. Number two, write this down. The reflection of faith. So you have the reflection of gratitude. Number two, you have the reflection of faith. In his words to Joseph in our text, Jacob refers to his faith in God numerous times. He had been given many promises by God in his early years. Again, God had personalized the Abrahamic covenant with Jacob several times in his life. He was going to use Jacob, but this was going to be in spite of who Jacob was. It wasn't going to be because of it. Jacob was an inconsistent follower of God at best. But nonetheless, God is going to use him in an incredible way But notice, again, as we referenced just a few weeks ago, that this covenant doesn't end even with Jacob. This is going to keep going. He's just just a a stepping stone on the long playing field of God in regards to God's longevity and his plan for the Abrahamic seed. The revelation of God's faithfulness was going to continue on in the next generation and the next generation, and it was going to predate Jacob along several generations after uh, Jacob passes from the scene. Uh, God was going to uh, continue to bless the seed of Abraham. That's what he promised to do. So, so it's almost as though Jacob is at the end of his life. And again, he's looking back with a spirit of gratitude and saying, yeah, God did this, God did this, and I'm thankful that God did this. But now Jacob is looking up. He's looking up. So before he's looking back. But now he's looking up, knowing that the faithfulness of God will continue. So again, I'll I'll draw this picture again. He's looking back and he's reminiscing on his spirit of gratefulness as he looks, he's got this grateful attitude of all the things that God has accomplished in his life, but now he's no longer looking back, but he's looking up and saying, hey, the same God who did all that is the same God who's still on the throne today. He's still faithful. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus Jesus is the same. Uh, he's, He's referencing God's faithfulness. And when I look at that, I can't help but think of a mature believer. A mature believer that's established themselves in the faith. How many of you remember the great things that God did whenever he was building your faith? You remember what it felt like to be a newborn Christian as you, de- as you developed in your Christian walk. Everything that God did was like a grand slam. It could be the smallest thing, but yet it was the biggest thing to a new baby, uh, baby Christian. But now you've established yourself in the faith, and maybe you've been saved for a long time, and you look back, and you look at how God has been faithful. You know what that does? It causes you to look up and say, hey, he who was faithful is faithful and is going to continue to be faithful. 
Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 18 says, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more until the perfect day. As a believer, we can look back upon the faithfulness of God, and that all that does is make the future look brighter and brighter, and it says it shineth more and more. Why? Because Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Jacob looks back in gratitude as he reflects on the faithfulness of God, but Jacob also looks up with great comfort in knowing that that faithfulness of God has no expiration date. It's something that's going to continue even until the next generation. Verse 15 again, it says, And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my father Abra- fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long until this day. Quick question. What was Jacob's occupation? He's a shepherd, right? He's a shepherd. Uh, we all know what a shepherd is, but a shepherd's got a simple job. The responsibility of a shepherd is to take care of the sheep. To, to take care of the sheep, to provide for the sheep, to feed the sheep, to protect the sheep, to look after the sheep. And it's almost as if being in the position of the, the shepherd, Jacob is telling Joseph, and it makes it all that much sweeter when you understand what he was. He's saying, hey, I'm a shepherd, and these are the things that I've accomplished in my life in providing for my sheep. Uh, my sheep. So it is that God has fed me all my life long. It's, it's got almost like he's referencing what we later refer to in the New Testament as the good shepherd. The good shepherd who takes care of his sheep, and of, of his sheep he is known, John 4 says. Jacob is telling Joseph that the good shepherd has been faithful, and then he says this, all my life long. So we've got the reflection of gratefulness looking back. We've got the reflection of faithfulness or faith looking up. Number three, write this down, the reflection of love. The reflection of love looking out. As Jacob comes to the end of his life, he's not focused on himself anymore. Remember that? His name means one who comes from behind for an advantage, a deceiver, a liar. He's always looking out for himself. And a matter of fact, that's why he gets himself into so many of these conundrums is because of his self-centeredness. But now at the end of his life, paradigms shift. Now he's focused on, he's very concerned in our text. He's concerned about Joseph and he's concerned about Ephraim and he's concerned about Manasseh. Look at verse number eight. It says, And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Pause for just a moment. How many of you like a good comedy? I mean, a good, clean comedy. You like to laugh. You need to look no further than the Word of God. Word of God is full of ironic situations and funny situations. If you just take the time to read it, you'll find that uh, I believe God has a sense of humor. Uh, Look at verse number 10. It says, Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age so that he could not see. Sounds like someone very familiar in Jacob's life. How many of you remember what happened in Isaac? And how Jacob went in unto Isaac and Rachel says, hey, you better act now, he's out in the field. And so he goes in and he deceives his blind father. Old age caught up with Jacob. Look at verse number 10, it says, Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I want you to listen to this. I'm gonna read a portion of scripture but visualize what's taking place. Uh, Verse 11, and Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. Real quick pause. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Just pause there and think of that for a moment. All he wanted to do was see his son of promise, but God thought it best to allow Jacob to be able to see even his grandsons. What a God. 
Verse number 12, and Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim, look at this, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head. And was, uh, excuse me, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Skip down to verse number 17. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's hand unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, not, not so, excuse me, not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head and his father refused and said I know it my son I know it he also shall become a great people referencing Manasseh he also shall become a great people and he also shall be great but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he and his seed shall become a multitude of nations and he blessed them that day saying in these shall Israel bless saying God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh and he set Ephraim before Manasseh. So look with me real quick right here. Very simply, this is what takes place. Joseph brings, if, if I'm, if I'm jo- Jacob, I'm Jacob, I'm Israel. Joseph brings his two sons and he places Ephraim to the left hand, the younger to the left hand of Jacob, and he places Manasseh to the right hand. Why? The right hand is the right hand of blessing. This is the hand that he was going to use to bestow the good blessing, the first blessing that was intended to be for the firstborn, the one that he stole from uh, 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 Esau. But nonetheless, this is how he sets it up, where you've got uh, Ephraim on his left side and you've got uh, 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 Manasseh on his right side, and here's what Jacob does. And he takes his hand, his right hand of blessing, and he puts it upon the head of Ephraim, and he takes his left hand, and he puts it upon the hand, uh, his left hand, and puts it on the head of Manasseh. And Joseph says, oh, dad, you must have forgot to put your contacts in, because you see over here on this side, that's Ephraim. No, you're blind, but on this side is Ephraim, and on this side is Manasseh. So he tries to forcibly change the hands of Jacob, and what does Jacob say? I know it, son. In other words, hey, knock it off. I know what I'm doing here. I know what I'm doing here. I'm intending to give this blessing to Ephraim, and I'm going to still bestow a blessing upon Manasseh, but the first blessing belongs to Ephraim. Because let me tell you what's going to happen is he's going to rise up and he's going to do some great things. Yes, Manasseh is going to do some great things, but that's going to pale in comparison to what I'm going to do through Ephraim. Now, we don't have time to go into this, but if you do some studying in the Old Testament, you're going to find that the tribes of Manasseh to the north, the ten tribes of Manasseh, he makes up the tribes to the north, and then you've got Ephraim who makes up the tribes to the south, just two tribes, Benjamin and who? Judah. Quick Sunday school lesson. Who's God going to bring forth his son? Through what line? Judah. So, Jacob knew exactly what he was doing in bestowing that blessing. He intended to bestow that blessing upon Ephraim. Something interesting to notice is that God makes no mistakes. God makes no mistakes. Uh, Just as it is that Jacob made no mistake in bestowing the blessing upon Ephraim rather than bestowing the blessing upon Manasseh, so it is that God's intention for man was to establish a relationship with man and man to never adulter that relationship. Therefore, he creates his creation and he looks on his creation and he says, it is good. Creates man, first Adam. First Adam. Uh, Romans says, by one man, uh, sin entered into the world and death by sin. That man is Adam. And Corinthians references, I believe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, references Adam as the first Adam representing mankind. Who's the second Adam? Jesus Christ. 
So what's going to happen is God's intended design for man is for them to not adulter the relationship with him, but nonetheless, Adam fumbles. Hey, don't blame him. You would have fumbled too in that position. Or if Adam didn't fumble at the time, someone else would have messed it up along the line. But nonetheless, the first Adam messed it up, but aren't you thankful that the second Adam is going to come and he, uh, did came, he did come and died on the cross to trump the first Adam and to make right the wrongs of the first Adam? Do you not see? Uh, I, I love the Bible. The Bible is a living book. When you look and you study and you see all these different things that happen in the Old Testament and then you compare to them in the New Testament, it gets you excited. Maybe it's just me. I'm sorry. Just as Jacob knew what he was doing when he gave Ephraim the blessing over Manasseh, so it is that God knew exactly what he was doing when he brought forth his son, Jesus Christ. So nonetheless, Jacob comes to the end of his life and he's, his outlook on life has changed. He's no longer concerned about himself. Now he's concerned about transitioning faith and truth to the next generation. So we've got the reflection of gratitude. That's looking back. The reflection of faith, that's looking up. The reflection of love, that's looking out. Lastly, number four, I want you to write this down. The reflection of hope, looking forward. The reflection of hope in verse number 21, it says, And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you, and bring you again unto the land of your father. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Here's what he's saying. Joseph, you don't have a lot of gas left in the tank, but I'm full of hope. You're burying a, not a discouraged man, but an encouraged man. I have a lot of hope because here's the thing. The same God who's faithful in my life is going to continue to be faithful. The same God who's done things in my life, the same God that, that I look back and I see all these things that he's accomplished in my life, has the desire and is going to accomplish his will because he's sovereign. He has the desire to continue that same thing for generations to come. And it's almost at the end of his life. He, he dies in the next chapter. 47, 147 years old. He's looking forward. He's looking to his future. And he's not in that future. His time is about to end. But he's looking to the future. And he's saying, hey, I'm full of hope. Because the same God who sustained me then is the same God who can and will sustain you in the next generation. And as we look at these closing chapters of Jacob, we can see God's fingerprints all throughout his life. We can learn so many lessons from looking back, and I believe no greater lesson that we can learn than this. God loved Jacob. God loved Jacob. Man, we have a lot to learn, these microscopic things that we've dissected from the text, and it's been wonderful to do that. But if you get nothing else, get this. God loved Jacob. God had a plan for Jacob. He had a will for Jacob. He wanted to see Jacob brought into subjection to his will, and therefore he poured out his love, his patience, his blessing, and as Jacob gets to the end of his life, he's so thankful to look back in a spirit of gratitude. He's so thankful to look up with a spirit of faithfulness and knowing that God has been faithful. He looks out and he's worried about transitioning truth to the next generation, but he looks forward and having hope. But isn't it sad to consider that this happened at the end of Jacob's life and not the beginning? What a, what a waste, humanly speaking. Very simply tonight, in closing, could I just say this? Could we reflect? I want you to reflect. I want you to consider some things. I want you to reflect. Uh, here, here it is. As Jacob looked back, as he looked back, he was overwhelmed with a spirit of gratitude for what God had done through restoration, relief, and redemption. And as we look back, aren't you so thankful for God's sovereign hand moving in the life of us, even in our times of affliction? As Jacob looked up, 
he was reassured of the faith in God because God had been faithful to him. And as we look up, we can rest assured that the one who was faithful, he is faithful and will always be faithful. As Jacob looked out, he knew that what God did in his life, he wanted to do in his family's life. Therefore, he desired to transition his faith to the next generation in Ephraim and Manasseh. So it is as we look out, we ought to have the desire in our hearts to see our faith and our truth transition to the next generation. I hope that you've gotten that. That's been a very important part of what we've looked at in the life of Joseph. I hope that uh, all the dads, the moms, uh, everybody in here has the desire to see a multi-generational church. And when we pass from the scene, the faith continues generation after generation. You know that doesn't happen by accident. It happens intentionally. As Jacob looked forward, he was filled with hope in knowing that God will continue on doing what he promised because he's God and ultimately because he loves him. And as we look forward, we can rest in the hope that God will be with us because he's always been with us because here it is, he loves us. And so just tonight, as, 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 we, as we consider, I want you to reflect upon your life and I want you to think whether you're a baby Christian, you're a mature Christian, doesn't matter. You've got a testimony. And as you look back on your life, Look back with a spirit of gratefulness for all the things that God has accomplished and look back and reminisce and begin to think about all the things that God's done in your life. But you know what that reflection should do? That reflection should create a reflection, a reflection of the love of Christ that is in you. And so tonight, very simply, I just want us to spend a couple of moments of reflection, thinking about what God has done, but then also intending to live our life, just as Jacob comes to the end of his life, intending to live our life as a reflection of what God has done in our lives. When people look at me, I hope that they look at me and know I love my wife. I hope that my life is a life that is lived in reflection of the love that she's displayed for me. So it is that when it comes to a Christian, do we not have such a wonderful God who's done such incredible things in our life? We ought to exemplify Christ. We ought to exemplify Christ in our life. People ought to look at us and see the love of Christ. We ought to have the reflection of affection of, of God. So let's stand to our feet. We'll go directly into our prayer time. And I'll